in order for you to really sit with that that thought, sit with that perspective, sit with that idea, you have to really like, it has to be almost a primary experience, right? Just imagine listening to music as the primary experience. Not listening to music while you're doing something else, while you're cleaning, while you're cooking, while you're running errands, but like just sitting down on a chair, doing nothing else but listening to music. All that focus is in that one particular moment. And so when you're reading Umber, or any, any kind of print media, you should feel the culmination of the life experiences in that one moment. That process of discovery, the process of like, oh, I just found this, this cool new thing. And the only way you can experience it is in print. You can't actually go online to see what I'm looking at. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It creates a whole another level of intimate engagement with the stories, with the narratives. Welcome to Works in Process, the podcast that asks the hows and whys behind creative work. Take a ride with me, designer and educator George Garastegui. As I learned from my guests, there's no one way to being a creative, but endless possibilities fueled by passion, determination, and of course, process. That's my guest, Mike Nichols. He's a creative director, brand strategist, publisher, visual designer, and illustrator. He's been translating ideas into visionary creative solutions, utilizing his over 20 years of design experience and natural talent. Mike is also the founder and creative director of Upper Publishing, an independent publishing house based in Oakland, California. He visually designs and illustrates the perspectives of the contributor from curation to content and final magazine design. It's for that drive and determination that I invited him on the show. We discuss the nuances of the black and brown reality and why publishing platforms such as a magazine allows the community to archive their own perspective. I hope you can appreciate the way we nerd out on typography, culture, and the return to tactile design experiences. Enjoy. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the Works and Process Podcast. Nice to have you from Oakland. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here, George. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me, George. <laughs> I know you're swamped with all the new things going down with Umber, and but we'll get into all of it. But I kind of want to do something really quickly in the beginning. Before we get into um, your work and your creative process, I'd like to start each episode with a rapid-fire Q&A session. Are you ready? Yep. All right. So it's just this or that questions, right? Either or. Coffee, tea. Coffee. Paper, digital. Paper. Black or brown? Black. Philly or Oakland? Oakland. Art or design? Design. Helvetica, knockout? Helvetica. Ooh. Here's our either or, or, or. Roots, Wu-Tang, or digital underground? Roots. Of course, of course. I love it. Black Thought is awesome. So cool. That that's just like quick and no brainer. And then I have some word association. Right, the first thing that do you, like kind of you think of when you hear these words. Okay. Creativity. Hard. Determination. Long. Business. Hard. Failure. Necessary. Community. Everything. Education. Indifferent. Mistakes. Necessary. Skills. Needed. History. Indifferent. <laughs> Opportunity. Access. Accessibility. Desired. Future. Now. And last but not least, process. Everything. <laughs> That's great. 
right? I love doing these because it gives us like gives you no time to react. You just got to answer, right? And and it's a great understanding, kind of like get us loose and stuff. You know, as we move into the beginning of this, I really want to get a little bit more into the introduction of you getting into art and design, right? So, um, where'd you grow up, and were you creative or artsy as a kid? So I grew up in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, and I can remember always drawing. I can't remember when I was not drawing. I feel like it was something I always did. Um, and so my dad's a visual, visual artist. He was a painter, muralist, designer, all of that. I, 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 didn't, I didn't grow with him, but I just remember seeing him paint when I was like really young. And so um, that image of him painting in his room, in his, his room like it stuck with me. But like it kind of was, it was in the recesses of my brain that was like really kind of pushed back towards the back. And then I put myself in the front and just did what I wanted to do, like mm. in terms of just drawing. So I feel like I've always been, I don't know if Archie was a word, but I always just was a drawer. So did you feel that, you know, looking at your, as, as your dad, as, as a kind of a visual artist, do you think family or school played a larger role in you becoming a, a, a designer or a creative person? I would say school. Because because I didn't grow with them, I didn't really have uh, a image or a example of what that means to be an artist. I didn't I didn't I, it was once again I just drew pictures, drew motorcycles, drew comic books, drew graffiti. I just drew things right, and so um, it wasn't in, in school where I realized designer is a thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't think about that when I was when I was younger. Okay. Okay. What was your first creative job and how'd you stumble into it? My first creative job was designing t-shirts for this event in Atlanta called Freaknik. Uh, <laughs> Freaknik. I'm, I'm dating myself here. I'm dating myself. I graduated from high school in 94 and I lived in Atlanta. I went to the Orange City of Atlanta and I lived in Atlanta at the time when all these people were moving down there from the East Coast from the West Coast. It was like a hotbed of just like a lot of energy, a lot of different energy, not, not too many locals, right? I mean, the locals were there, but I was more attracted to the people who weren't from here there, being there. Anyway, so Freaknik is this large event primarily for folks who went to HBCUs. Um, so all these Black people come from all over the nation to come to Atlanta party. Growing up, in a single mom household, and my mom was very religious and strict. It was too much of a party vibe. I was like, this is too much for me. I can't deal with this. This is not my scene. I love to dance. I love hip hop, but I didn't like the party aspect. I didn't want to just dance and hear music. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I remember like Wu-Tang, I remember Protect Your Neck was like the one that got me like, I'm just wild and just like doing, just doing all these crazy things, whatever. Anyway, Freaknik comes like, okay, this is not my vibe. This is not my scene. But how can I participate? Oh, I can design T-shirts. So Freaknik T-shirts was like the thing back then. So I said, well, normally the T-shirts are really, you know, women with you know, the clothes on or bikinis, really just like, you know, Daisy Dukes, all, all the whole nine. Daisy Dukes, really short, short, shorts that are jeans. Anyway, so I'm like, all right, so I'm going to design a Freaknik T-shirt and sell it. And so I designed it. I drew it. In color pencil, I laid it out in Illustrator. So I've been using Illustrator since 1995. Um, that's how long I've been on Illustrator. I was an Illustrator before there was Windows or desktop. It was just like <laughs> you type in these codes and then it appears. So 
I laid it out at Kinko's because I didn't have a, a computer at, at this point. So I laid it out in the Kinko's, printed that out, and I sold all those t-shirts. So me, my roommate, and, and my best friend, we just went around Atlanta and sold out every t-shirt. I don't know if I made any money, but I sold out every t-shirt. And then the last day of Freak Meek, we see one, one person walk by with the t-shirt on. I'm like, oh. we were, most, all my friends asked me, who sold it to him? Like nobody knew who sold it to him. But he was just walking down, I think it was, was Piedmont Park near downtown Atlanta. And that was it. So that was my first creative job. So even then I was an entrepreneur without really, I didn't think about it as, as entrepreneurship. I'm like, well, I'll just design a t-shirt. That feeling has to be so amazing to see all the work come together and then to see somebody finally like wearing your shirt. Um, when did you consider yourself a creative? See, creative, that's a, even that's like a new thing, right? Like it's a noun. Before it wasn't like a noun, like, you know, creative, like you were creative, but you weren't like a creative. Maybe it wasn't until maybe around, but as an adult in my early, late 30s, early 40s, like, oh, I'm a creative. I'm like a, I'm a, I'm a noun, not, I'm not creative. I am a creative. And mm -hmm. so I probably was like later in life. Cause I think a lot of things that I did, I didn't attach to, I mean, I, I call myself a designer and illustrator, but I didn't attach to like a bigger vision of what my passion or my skill set or my approach is. I just, Oh, I'm just a designer. I'm just, I just do this thing that I do. But as a creative, it's like, oh, I'm a, it's a whole other thing now. When you think of a creative, like that means you do anything. Mm -hmm. That's actually a good distinction, right? Where, you know, the noun versus, um, and how we start to look at it because now it's, it's, a, it's a thing versus just kind of being what you used to be, a descriptor, right? Like now it is a thing and it encompasses so much more than, than what people tend to throw at you as like what the definition of creativity or creative means it's like no no it is me it's all encompassing you know sometimes nobody's going to give you that title you just got to kind of come up with it on your on your own i agree i think that's one of the things that that it takes time to get there define the word umber for me umber means brown pigment from the earth simple right simple so as we shift to that right um and as we talked about in kind of like a pre-interview typography is really what drew me to Umber when I first saw it. I'm a sucker for bold, condensed typefaces, and Umber logo is that. So when I saw that, I was like, I instantly became a fan, right? I looked at, I looked up at your Instagram, I looked up your your website, right? I, it, it's been a while since I ordered a magazine, and so when I ordered it and got a couple of copies in my house, right, it, it just reminded me of of sitting at a bookstore and thumbing through a magazine for inspiration, right? So for me, print is nostalgic. It, it, it's something that, that kind of connects you to, to things. But here's a two-part question. Explain what Umber the Magazine is to our listeners, and then why printed media? Umber Magazine is a graphic journal highlighting the creative perspectives of Black and brown people, meaning Black people, indigenous people, Latin Americans, and marginalized people of color from around the world. Umber is a, an art book of discovery, design, illustration, topography, stories, narratives, perspectives. That's what it 
really entails when you when you hold it. And so why print? That is the best way to authentically archive your perspective and not be reliant on external media to tell your story. If you print something, you have to print it. <laughs> like you're the you're the push to have to print it. And then when you print it, it's a commitment to that thought, that idea. And so I knew from jump, to be honest with you, the idea for Umber started in 06. So in 06, print, the whole phrase of print is dead wasn't really there yet. It was, there was some rumblings, you know, there was like little things kind of, you know, shifting. I think around that time is when Facebook kind of started, I think in 06, somewhere around there, 05, 06. There was AOL, of course, there was MySpace. So I just held fast to that premise I had 15, over 15 years ago that this is going to be a print magazine. So for me, print is, is necessary. Print is, it print is, print is the thing that it just is the, like I said, it's the way to, to make sure that the stories that you want to tell is being told it the way you want to tell it. And it ensures that you can kind of, I don't say control the narrative. I don't like that word control the narrative. You can be intentional with the narrative. You can give it focus with the narrative. Yeah. And I mean, thinking, Obviously, control the narrative has has different connotations, but I think what you mentioned is is also being able to archive your perspective. You just said that, and I think that that is that is something where in history, probably the stories of black and brown people have not been told by black and brown people, right? So yeah. the realities of those stories and the nuances of those stories are not written by the people who actually experience those. And that's one of the first things I got when I just heard you say, like, archive your perspective, because that is such a, I guess, a powerful term to think about it, that you're in control. And it's different than controlling the narrative, because narrative means you're trying to persuade somebody. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, I yeah. think this is more like, look, th there is so many different ways to tell this story, especially when you're thinking about Black brown, indigenous, and people of color, right? You can't lump those people into one big thing. There's so many differences in that, that we should be allowed the space to be able to be the ones who tell that story, right? And and so I, I, definitely, I definitely hear that. And then kind of doing some more research, right? I, I read in a print magazine article you had with Stephen Heller that you consider Umber's approach to design, and this is very heady, but as part cerebral, subtlety, provocative, and wonder. So with all of those things, can you explain Umber's visual style to somebody who hasn't seen it? I will say that Umber looks and feels old and new at the same time. Umber is a convergence of art and photography and lots of lots of letters and typefaces. It's a space where you discover things that you didn't know about prior to. So it is a, like a playground of these huge images. Over, it's a collage. That's what it is. It is a visual collage filled with images and text and photography and stories. Like it's just, it's like, yes, yeah, it really is a, it's a collage. And the what unifies all of this collaginess is that it's printed in only two colors, black color and a brown color. And so 
that last part leads into a next question. But before, that sounds like you were describing it to a non-designer. Yes. How yes. would you didn't? So let's let's go for it. How would you design it to a, a designer? Umber is a graphic journal that puts design and visual art the focus of storytelling. A lot more succinct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it, it just, it, you know, like when you're talking to people who get it, right? You just have to say a little bit of words to kind of make it all resonate. And But both definitions do the job. And because you mentioned the idea of it's old and new, and it's printed in two colors. I mean, literally, if you're looking at my screen, my next question is, what was the design decision to be a duotone magazine? Designed and asked, oh, well, if it's only two colors, it may be cheaper to print it in a four-color one, <laughs> right? Like it was, it, it was like a, it was in the same breath. Like, oh, it'd be cool if it's only two colors, and then it probably would be cheaper to print. And then the fact the name is Umber, black and brown people, people of color, you can get a whole lot of shades with, with black and brown ink. You can get a whole lot. I mean, you can get, you can get Puerto Rican. You can get uh, Chinese. You can get Cambodian. You can get, you know, Indian. Like, there's a lot of range in those in that color palette. So, so let, let's get a little nerdy real quick. What Pantone color is your is your brown? Seven thirty one. See, I knew. See, that's a designer knows that off the top of their head, especially if you print in two colors. Is your black jet black or is your black a nuanced black? Black, it's just black. Okay. Um, but what I started to do now is, we, we, if we're going nerdy, let's go nerdy. In Photoshop, I created a third color. I made in Photoshop. I made a duotone. Um, I literally like you make something black and white first, grayscale. Then you go into setting. However you get there, you you see duotone. So I have the black and the seven thirty one. But I adjust the levels so you get like this weird sort of like this brown slate color mm -hmm. so I, I created the, the third color for our last issue okay and so that one is more like it's just a, it's just an odd color like it doesn't fit it's so it's almost like my my metal mm -hmm. I'm saying like my the metal type you okay. know what i'm saying like the, the it's just it's like a it just i don't know it just it feels nice yeah it gives you it gives you some variety too it adds maybe another dimension you know, and I think that probably speaks to what you're talking about is is this multitude of color that you can pull from just those two colors. And of course, it probably attributes to the fact that the paper that you have and it's kind of an off-white, right? It's not really a true white, right? It's a, it's also matte, which is beautiful. I mean, yeah. matte paper is such, such a distinctive um, quality to it versus like the glossy magazines, which are supposed to feel so finished. But that's the thing. I feel like actually matte paper and all uncoated paper feels more expensive than glossy paper. Because I'm like, glossy, you're trying to look glossy. You're trying to look a certain kind of way. But if you're understated, like you could wear, for instance, you could wear that, that, that jean shirt, right? And people, oh, this is a regular jean shirt. No, this is a very distinctive jean shirt that feels right for me mm -hmm. versus trying to get a shiny shirt with glitters and like, hey, look at me, like, look, look at me glittering. Like, no, this shirt says something. This shirt, this is, I'm giving you, I'm giving you a, a statement of my intentionality of like quality without me being it over your face. Bringing back the shiny shirt era. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So like in the first, I think it's the first three issues under the logo, you have the tagline, 
that, which I feel is really poignant, right? It's called The Creators Thinkers Graphic Journal. Very intentional. Why did you call it that? That tagline started in 06. So that's always been a tagline. And I was trying to, once again, we haven't talked about this yet, wherever, but Umber design-wise was inspired by Immigre, which was started in 1984. Um, they stopped about 20 years, 20 years later in 05, I believe was the last issue. So I was like, I know this is gonna be a graphic journal, right? I want people to feel like a journal, like it's very, journal is something personal, something very like, it's journal, if you're journaling something, you're kind of getting vulnerable, you're getting really particular about your experience and um, your perspective, right? And creative thinkers, because like, it's for the creative thinker, the people, people who think outside the box or within the box or open up the box and they look at the, the spaces in between the box and the current, like it's really, it's the creative thinker to where like you just don't take life for face value. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you think about it and the inspiration of Emigre and, and kind of a lot of where those, those magazines in the, in the eighties come from, what other inspiration does, does Umber pull from? Is it and now is, and on top of that, is it because of Umber or is it because of Mike Nichols? Or, you know, because some, sometimes it's it's the same, but sometimes yeah, yeah. we can kind of compartmentalize and say, well, I know the intention for this is a little different than me in my own visual sensibilities, right? So Umber and Mike Nichols is pretty intertwined. <laughs> really do like, damn, I was like, I don't need a beacon. Am I the only one out here? It has to be some other black person, person of color who geek out about fun in a particular kind of way. Not your average, like, type A designers who are very just like, you know, uptight. Like, there has, there's some, you don't have to be up so uptight about Love and Helvetica. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a way where you can appreciate it and be cool, be chill, be weird, be awkward, but not be so uptight. And so, Umber was my, to be honest with you, it was my way of making myself big, showing up bigger in the world. Um, I was like, you know what? I don't see a lot of magazines reflecting my viewpoints or my perspectives. And I see black and brown people in magazines, but it's usually within the space of that vibe. So if you have Wired Magazine, they'll have black and brown people in there, but they're fitting that niche of that kind of aesthetic of Wired, right? Mm -hmm. Or whatever, but you never see the full swath. Say if you go to somebody's house, right, um, who is Indian, Everybody in that house is not going to have the same personality. You got different kinds of Indians within this one house. And so I want to make Umber the same thing to where it's like, there's a house full of black and brown people. We're not all the same. We have different interests in, in, in aesthetics, but because of our identity and our heritage and our background, that's how, that's our unifying factor. But really we're into whatever we're into. So that's really what Umber was really just like a, a way for me a calling out to the world, I was like, am I am I alone? Am I really alone? Mm -hmm. Is there are you you got? There has to be somebody else out here like me. And visually, design wise, inspired by Vibe magazine was the one, the first magazine that I saw that was different. Vibe Vibe came out in '93. I was a senior in high school, and at this point, I was already fan of of the Source. I remember seeing the first Source cover was Heavy D was on the cover. That was the first source I saw. That had to be in 92, 91, somewhere around there. And this time, 
there were like is a full it was a color magazine i remember the font the lettering was yellow bright yellow because mm-hmm. heavy was tropical background whatever in the background um i remember seeing at this rim shop in charlotte so already at this point i was a fan of word up magazine essence all you know ebony to a certain extent you know all these mag- right on magazine but vibe was different mm-hmm. vibe was artsy fartsy vibe was like black and white photos big format how they had they kind of had a kind of knockout font kind of vibe with so not so much the the mass head, but when Snoop Dogg was on cover of Vibe, he just came out. I think he maybe did one song with Dr. Dre, deep cover, I think. And on that cover it said Bow Wow Wow, and like in purple or pink letters, right? I said, this is different. Mm-hmm. So I just was like obsessed about Vibe. You know what I'm saying? And then I feel like it kind of went down a bit. It kind of became more traditional-ish in this look and feel as it as it progressed but vibe those first two years was like you know so really umber is a mixture of vibe and immigrate mm-hmm. okay those two intentionalities in terms of like vibe is all about kind of focus on hip-hop culture for the most part or black culture um or urban they call it back then and then immigrate is more like my my mind how my mind works in terms of as a, a creative thinker so those two magazines i would say kind of directly influence how umber was mm-hmm. you know this is before i even research magazines at this point. i wasn't researching magazines well yeah i don't think you need to in that sense where we're you know we're we're around the same age and and vibe also for me back in the days blaze yeah, blaze yes, Bla- yeah. you know those those magazines which are which are challenging the norms right blaze was trying to challenge the source and and vibe was becoming the urban version of rolling stone and with music and pop culture and things like that, but also format. I think format for you it was a big thing because Vibe, the original versions, were like Rolling Stone size, which back in the days, Rolling Stone was almost like a square. It was like almost like 11 by 11. It was a big, huge magazine. And then eventually, you know, like everything, it got, got smaller and, you know, it had less impact. But those definitely are trying to shake things up to, to you know, and Quincy, obviously, Quincy Jones starting, you know, Vibe magazine with that to kind of be like, urban culture is on par, right? And we know today urban culture is culture, is culture. <laughs> like it, you know, that is, it is what it is. We, we can't deny that. But, but looking at those influences and I, and I, I love that, that, I guess that mixture of thinking of yourself as somewhat of a vibe and somewhat as an emigre, right? We're talking about design and, and, and aesthetics in a certain like maybe scholastic way or historical way. And then taking, how do you, meld and blend and in this and take this urban culture who's now either that's been thrust upon them or we've been thrust upon it or, or whatever and how that mixes i think that's a great description because those are some of the things that i notice when i'm looking through the pages and 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 looking at how you're deciding you know not only worrying about colors right because that like you said the color gamut can 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 shift but how you're how you're breaking up features how you're introducing illustration you know how you're doing some of the illustration you know obviously as a labor of love and and you're you're calling to say am i the only one out here who who thinks the same way and sometimes the only way to do that is to say well shit i'm going to have to do something and see if people connect with it right like i think that's one of the things that that as as black and brown creatives we don't think about we have to put it out there first like that t-shirt moment when somebody else connects with that t-shirt for you, it now is like, all right, I'm here. 
it's such a thing that we don't even think about that in a sense where like we don't even recognize that, oh, what well, we have to just put it out there. And, you know, it's just because of either the way we've been brought up or the way that's been in, it's been put upon us to be like, maybe not have that confidence and stuff like that. But when, when you feel that, that what you're doing has a point, has an audience, you know, sometimes you just have to scream it from the rooftops and see if somebody else is listening, <laughs> you know, and that's what I'm here you doing. And when I'm looking at you compare yourself to those things, what, what I'm noticing, and you mentioned it before, right? It's about images and writers and artists. How did you start to go about collaborating with these various creatives to create and establish some kind of visual language for this, right? We know colors plays a big deal. We know content starts to play a big deal, but now this influx of, it's not just you, <laughs> you know, how do we start to allow other creatives to start to help you build this visual language and this kind of cultural community thing out there? Yeah, so the first issue of Umber, I'll say this forever, if in regards to Umber, in terms of working on it, designing it, I've come to find out, realize that it's really my art practice. Layout is an art form. It is a, a higher form of collage making, right? And so my joy of all doing this umber is like making, designing umber. That's where the kid in me comes into, like, dude, literally I'm designing the way I used to design in college. It is the same, the same shit. The, my process has not changed from when I was forced in school to design something off of a typewriter with no computer. The first issue of Umber was all my friends. There was maybe two or three people who I'd never met before. Everybody else was like, I knew them personally on a personal level. And so I'm like, you're dope, you're dope. You wanna be my magazine? So really in a way to where, the way I curated in the beginning was more just like vibes and feelings and energy and then my stipulation was I have to do the art. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's my only thing to where I have to do it. And so, because once again, I consider Umber being my art practice because before this, I either work at, a, at an agency, worked at a design firms, worked in-house, did freelance. I'm always doing other people's shit. Never doing what I want to do as an artist and as a, as a designer. So for me, Umber was like, let me design the way I want to design. And hopefully people like it. It's almost like any artist, visual artist, recording artist, they put the music out there or the work out there and hopefully people like it. You know, some people are trying to make art or make music to appeal to certain people. I didn't really do it that way in the beginning. I was just trying to do it. And so then, like I said, every issue of Umber is based on the theme. The first issue was, was vulnerability. The second issue was relationships. And so still trying to figure out what that means to curate based on a theme. And I try to pick things that are very kind of like expansive where it doesn't get locked into so like, yeah, just do an article about being married. You know? <laughs> See what I'm saying? Like it's not so specific that way. It could be too. Now I'm trying to curate based on a the theme now. All right, we're talking about relationships. What kind of relationships? Mm -hmm. The relationship between an artist and a model from the model's perspective, right? The relationship between a designer and a computer, the relationship between war and peace, right? These are very kind of nuanced conversations, but they're still about relationships. And so I curate based upon that. So really, I tell my contributors, you're just alone for the ride. Mm -hmm. I'm doing all the work. I'm doing all the work. You just give me your perspective. You trust me with your vulnerability, your perspective to, to give it the light that it needs to be given, knowing that I'm not going to like take your 
your perspective, your idea, your thoughts and kind of like distort it and for the masses, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And so really, I, I treat Umbra as my creative practice. Going forward, I'm going to start opening up to get more people to actually like help out with the design and and be a part of the of the process. But in the beginning, I really want to do most of it myself just to set the tone, just to get the vibe right. And, and it's still kind of my baby too, right? And so that's really how it's really worked to where it's like, first it was like bringing my community who I know and love, because I was inspired by Issa Rae when she started, before she did Insecure, she had this uh, web series called Awkward Black Girl. And I remember her talking about it. She said, yeah, you start, you start with your community first. Start with your community first. Then you can get everybody else involved, but build from that, that ground base first. And so that's how I really kind of umber started with the determining the stories. But now for the third issue, for the sound issue, I'm starting to expand outside of o Oakland, mm -hmm. outside of, you know, even for the, even the second issue, there were people, there's an artist from Amsterdam. She's Armenian. She's a type designer. Her work is incredible. Yeah, it's the only, the only issue I don't have, the second issue. That was sold out. I know. That's that's why I don't have it. That was sold out. Um, so so anyway, so, so that's really how it started happening, where the theme determines who I who, who I bring in the fold. And first, I start, start with my community of people who I'm inspired by. And then at some point, it's people who I refer to. Hey, Mike, this person is dope. But the submission process is all organic. There's no like, oh, give me your ideas and we'll put we'll think about it. I can't do that. Because of this process, what happens is that the making of Umber is building community, is building a network of people to where every issue, every piece in Umber, every feature, there's a story behind of how we met, how we got here, who inspired who, who followed who on Instagram, right? How, you know, so there's, I, I want to make sure that that always is a part of it, at least for now. Then at some point, I'll have it more. I guess democratic, <laughs> but no. But it's but I think if if it becomes organic like that, it, it allows itself to have, I guess, a more personal structure. And literally, I I gotta say, you you must be reading the same document that I'm trying to interview you from because you just like literally just kind of hit the next couple points <laughs> that I'm gonna be doing. You already beat me to it because I was gonna mention, you know, especially with um the way you're and curating is I guess is now a great word. Beyond print, Umber is an experience. And I think that you're, you just mentioned, you know, you're, you're breaking down the experience of um, the people in here, how we met, what we're doing, and you're establishing and building trust to allow your collaborators to work with you, but also trust you in the fact that if they're giving you raw work, you're going to make it the entirety or, or the entity that, it, that the theme happens to be versus just, okay, it's going to be in the front. It's a department page and it's going to be this, right? And, you know, it seems to me that you don't really know what it's going to be until you got kind of all the pieces together and inside, okay, this is how it's going to start to flow because of the trust and collaboration between people. And I think that's a very different way of thinking about a magazine. I worked at a magazine before and you're kind of really systematically thinking about what's in the feature well, what's in the back departments, what's in the intros, right? And these little moments. And it, it's nice to hear that it's really a connection to the collaborators you have to help build this with you, even though it's your curatorial process. You know, even if it's people that you know or not, there's enough trust to build this thing with you because 
I guess they all believe in, you know, what that theme is or just the umber as an idea. You hit on the head because it's really about the narrative being told is more important than make sure that, like you said, fits in the front of the book, back of the book, feature well. Like it's not, I want you to feel like the highs and the lows. I want you to kind of ease into it, yellow drawing in the middle. And then by the time you get to the end, you're kind of like, oh, wow, I want to go do something now. I feel that peace. I went through this whole journey, this whole experience of discovery and um, imagination and, and inspiration and just all of these compelling stories and, and ways of approaching life. But um, it's really about the stories I tell my contributors that, listen, tell your story. You don't have to preface it as a person of color because you're around your people. Go in, talk about it, right? And then it really is a part of a collaboration because there's sometimes we're actually working together on the piece. We can have a car, like, as if I'm talking to you, we're, we're talking like this, right? They're like, oh, but you just said that. Well, if you put this in here and put it there and kind of, you know, make this kind of this organic experience. And so, um, but Umber definitely is an experience, man. Like it's, it's experience that only can really be done in print. Like the way this approach is, if it's just a digital experience, I think it may hit, may go flat. Right. Because I want you to leave here. Like if you're reading about this woman who is, who's based in, uh, in Copenhagen, she makes sound art. She literally whips a white canvas with a black whip. She has this whole process where, right. For the sound issue, I saw her documentary here in Oakland. She was here, was visiting um, and doing a, a show of a screening. And I saw you, you heard the reactions of people in the audience, like gasping and feeling all, all these kind of emotions, but it had to be a visceral experience. So I read you just get a snippet of it in the magazine, now go and discover more, mm-hmm. right? Go into the rabbit hole of the experience of this woman who's doing this incredible art. And so, yeah, man, it's, it's a journey. I mean, that's interesting, right? That you're like, I mean, let's just say old school in the fact where, you know, you would learn about somebody and then you go to the rabbit hole. Today, we're in such a, a rabbit hole <laughs> nature where the first thing you do is experience the endless scrolling and and an overexposure of somebody yes. that yes. that you know you see something new and you kind of unfortunately go been there done that because you've seen almost everything that's happened before you even get to really truly sit with it. It seems like you're making conscious decisions to almost go against that. For sure, like I mean. And I was too unconscious because I'm very app apprehensive. I can count my app on my phone is like, I got like maybe 18 apps. That's it. Even that is too much for me. And for me too, it's just easier for me to read something in print than on screen. Mm-hmm. It's just like the light is coming in my face constantly. Where like it's, just, it's just too much. In order for you to really sit with that, that thought, sit with that perspective, sit with that idea, you have to really like, it has to be almost a primary experience, right? Just imagine listening to music as the primary experience. Not listening to music while you're doing something else, while you're cleaning, while you're cooking, while you're running errands, but like just sitting down on a chair, doing nothing else but listening to music. All that focuses on that one particular moment. And so when you're reading Umber or any, any kind of print media, you should feel the culmination of the life experiences in that one moment. Use for all of that. Just be like surging through your body, right? And then you can make a decision if you want to 
go deep or not and go online or, or find out more mm-hmm. right? or share with someone else. I have tons of people who would buy Umber, then they'll buy a bunch of copies for their friends after after reading it from me. And so that process of discovery, the process of like, oh, I just found this, this cool new thing. And the only way you can experience it is in print. You can't actually go online to see what I'm looking at. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It creates a whole another level of intimate engagement with the stories, with the narratives. And allows you to be in control of like what you find instead of trends or media telling you this is the new hot shit that you need to know. You know, you experience print whenever you've bought it, whenever it comes out or whenever you've ordered it and you learn about it on your own time, right? Which goes back to your idea of you taking control of just when this is rather than somebody else putting it on you. The only experience online I I feel like I can have that in is Wikipedia. That's the only experience where you Hmm. are what you want. It doesn't tell you, you should, unless you probably go to the homepage, you are looking for what you want. You're driving that engagement. You're like, well, I want to find out about Michael Jackson. Let me just go in here. I want to find out about Stephen Heller. Let me just go in. Like, it's your sort of like, it's like a like a library, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's the only online experience I know of to where you can kind of like, you're not being told or encouraged what, to you, what you should be looking at or doing. I had this other conversation recently to where it's like, I want to emulate that experience of digging in the craze for people who are not in the, in the hip hop as much like digging the craze is when hip hop producers will find like these rare music samples from like record stores, estate sales, the whole nine. And if you're digging literally in the craze to find this gym, right. And so reading Umber is a very similar experience when you read the record sleeve of a record, the, the, sleeve that like you open up the liner notes you're kind of like when you listen to the music you have to sit your you want to read what's on this piece of paper on this cardboard right and so digging you know in the crates or digging into the stories into the narratives like that's all the part umber is very much hip-hop let's just be real with oh, umber, no, that, umber, no doubt no doubt umber is a hip-hop experience because i would say this i didn't say this earlier is that hip-hop really defined my my creativity I grew up in the South, but I guarantee you, I knew from jump, hip hop was not just rap music. Mm-hmm. I, for some reason, I think within the span of two or three months, I feel, oh, it's graffiti. Oh, oh, it's, oh, you rap too. Oh, you, you dance. Oh, and you're a DJ. Like I knew from jump all of the aspects because in the beginning, these hip hop videos would show everything, right? They would show the DJ scratching. You see somebody doing graffiti somebody rapping, you know what I'm saying? All of the break dancing, it will all happen at the same time. Yeah, it was so, a culture. It was a culture. And so um, for me, appreciating graffiti, started my love for typefaces and, and topography. You know what I'm saying? And in a hip hop, you know, inspired my love of just rapping, inspired my, inspired my love for words. And, you know, and DJ inspired my love for music. You know what I'm saying? Like my first experience with hip hop really was Herbie Hancock. Oh man. So I'm just like, it was Herbie Hancock and, and Jam on it. Those like the two just like, okay, this is, what is this? But I didn't know Herbie Hancock was a jazz artist. I thought he was just a hip hop dude on, on the keyboard. Same. I had no idea, right? And then you realize that, oh shit, he had 30 plus years of experience before this moment. And now he's going someplace else. Like just that from 84, like dude was playing since you were, 14, 15 years old with Miles Davis. You know what I'm saying? So like, oh, Lord, have mercy, man. 
the amalgamation of what hip hop is and what it's become and, and where it comes from, the idea that, that you can kind of almost make something out of nothing, you know, and I, and I think that's kind of what we, we, that's what we work with as, as our baseline. And, and you've mentioned so many different things, right? Like I'm trying to parse all the, the amazing stuff out, but you know, one of the things is you're not trying to let the format tell you what to do. And with that, you have large format magazines, you have little digest kind of magazines or little zines that are called, you know, that, that I think are dubbed like black and brown perspective, right? So it's allowing you to, to kind of change up format, you know, change up size, change it just like, you know, I'm going to feature two things instead of a whole magazine, right? And then recently, I, don't, I, think, I think it was probably the beginning of this year, I, I received the email that the Umber brand is expanding, right? <laughs> like, I was like, okay, you're doing all this. Uh, I'm already following you. We, we were trying to get you on, on the show. And then boom, you know, now you're starting two new publications, one called Tone and one called Slumber. And I remember Slumber kind of was a feature, at least in one of your, one of your issues. Can you share anything about those new upcoming projects? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, Slumber was an issue one, two, and three. It wasn't in four because I knew I was going to eventually have its own, you know, space. So Slumber is an adult magazine of sexual expression from the black and brown perspective. And so, like you mentioned, Slumber has always been the section in Umber um, where it's really talking about sexual experiences, desires, erotica, not porn so much. Porn just feel like it's so like hard, no pun intended. It's like, Arr! and it's not that. There's some nuanced stuff around that, but not really. But really, I would say more erotic is, is in a space where really, if you think of erotic, it's more of like the sexual themes or the narrative that leads up to you eventually expressing your sex or having mm-hmm. sex. You know, it's, it's the lead up to or the foreplay. So I really want to create a print magazine that shows our perspective on it, but a lot of times when you're looking at media in regards to slumber or in regards to erotica, if they're showing black and brown bodies, nine times out of 10, the person who is filming it or documenting this are not black and brown. You can appreciate somebody's form or their body or the, you know what makes them sexy, but it doesn't have to be exotified. It doesn't have to be like, you know, looked at in a very like, you know, ooh, look at this kind of way. The gay, the male gaze, you know what I'm saying? Or just any kind of gaze, you know? And so I really want to, want to create a magazine that, you, you know, you'll see the nipples, like you see some skin, but there's a, another side of that conversation too. There's a vulnerability of it. There's a nuance of it. There's just the accountability of, of this experiences. And so that's what, what slumber is going to be. Um, and in tone, whoo, man. So tone is going to be a printed magazine for the forward thinking black man. So there have been some black men magazines out there, right? The one I can remember the furthest most was Ebony Man. Ebony Man came out like 83, 80s. It was like like four or five years. It didn't last that long. Just basically Ebony for for men. Um, Then there was a magazine called called Untold, which was based in the UK. This tone is more about, less about how you see Black men, more about how we see the world, our perspective of how we exist in the world. Like think of um, MF Doom or Batman, right? It's less about... Bruce Wayne or, or or the guy behind MF Doom's mask is more about MF Doom's perspective. Batman is more of a symbol of justice or whatever he represents, right? It's less about Bruce Wayne, more about Batman. So tell me more about our perspectives, 
or lifestyles or nuance, but not so much how you see black men. Cause we already, that's narrative has already, already been kind of explored, right? And so there's other online medias for black men, which are, which are great. And, you know, I want to even to even leverage some of that as well too. Like, Hey, you got an online article. Maybe we could do a print version of the article, right. And give it a different kind of look and feel. And so tone is going to be special, man. Like tone is going to be special in a lot of ways, meaning that it's going to be a chance for us to tell the full range of experiences of the black man. Mm-hmm. Right. Not just, not just, Oh, here's a man with, with a wife and two kids and he got a perfect life. Oh, here's a man that's all built. They got muscles, whatever. There's also the black man that likes to hike. There's a black man who, you know, who enjoys reading comic books. You know what I'm saying? There's a, there's a black man who may not look maybe a little pudgy, but he's a great cook. You know what I'm saying? Like there's all these different ways where we can explore our experiences as black men that we'll do in tone. It's such an important aspect that, you continually to mention there's nuance and 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 variation in the conversation that is not necessarily being totally focused and i think that's where you're trying to fit in well here's the thing too also to be authentic about it like not try to pander on that too there's a way to where you can like kind of lean into like oh as a like no no just do your thing like just be you you know what I'm saying? Because there's a way where some sometimes these stories are being told, but it's being told in a very sensationalized way. Mm-hmm. You know? Like very, like you know, there's a whole press thing about it. like no, nah, like most of our lives are, as black and brown people, definitely as black people, just like like anybody else's life. Get groceries, you know what I'm saying? Do whatever. A lot of times, the society will remind us that we're black. Right. The society will tell us that we're black or brown. If it's there, they'll they'll remind us right in a way that's not really that benefits us. Mm-hmm. And so even if they're trying to benefit us, it really isn't because there's a narrative where they'll just hold on this narrative of of our struggles, which is real. Right. But we have other experiences, too. You know what I'm saying? And so so those two new magazines are going to be really, really special. And along with Umber and BBP. um, So, yeah, so four. (laughs) I know you got four. And and you mentioned something when you're talking about slumber, you know, the idea of essentialization of of the form and the male gaze on imagery and things like that, and who, who gets to control how that's going to be looked upon. And I wanted to ask you, like, um, you know, obviously tone you mentioned is obviously for the forward thinking black man, but the, the, the audience of slumber, are, are we going to be experiencing this from different perspectives from the female, from the male, from the non-binary, like, you know, what is the variation that we're going to have so that you're continuing to tell that nuanced perspective? So I will say this, from jump, it'll probably definitely be from my like POV because because I'm since I'm starting it for one. I would think one is that I've done tons and tons of research on magazines. I've definitely been doing a, buying a lot of erotica magazines of late. You know what I'm saying? And so I make sure my son doesn't come to the studio so he doesn't <laughs> see the thing. And so slumber would definitely be looked at from the perspective of I would say probably would be leaning towards hetero intentionality around it, but it's almost like. You know, not saying that we won't have stories around like queer and non-gender conform, that all of that would be there, but the experiences would definitely be more so suited around what my interests are, mm-hmm. right? And then it's almost like if I want to introduce somebody to an experience around kink or whether it's like like queer, BDSM, I'm not just gonna just like 
bam, give it to you because there's already magazines that are already doing that. That are literally like this, you're here for this experience, right? So let's just have it. But if you're kind of curious about it, maybe you'll see it in slumber mm -hmm. in a very kind of way to kind of as, a, as an introductionary piece versus like this piece is solely about that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's almost like kind of like easy you in versus like just giving it to you no pun intended raw. So <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, I guess, you know, you got, you got to stay true to it if it's going to be from your perspective, right? You don't want to be inauthentic to kind of showcase something, just making sure that, you know, obviously like you know, you've done enough research to know that, that maybe that is the introductory point versus the knowledgeable perspective, right? So getting people a little bit more comfortable with some of these things that maybe in a in the black and brown community were not so easy to talk about or or things like that. I won't be real with you. I definitely was something I was really kind of like full disclosure, like, okay, I gotta should I, should I make sure everybody's included? Should I make sure this? Should I, like can I try to make sure all but then it's like, you know what? No, 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 be you and then just even my experience or whatever around it is, is kind of like, you know, I dated someone who was, who was queer and being with her kind of, I was like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't really have an understanding of what that world was. And so the way that she introduced me to it, I would introduce somebody else to it the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, a little piece of me, like little, it's a bit things, it's a itty bitty things. And then you decide if you want to explore more. Same thing with Umber, right? I'm not giving you the whole story, just enough for you to want to, to take the journey on your own. And so, yeah, you're right. Like, I think all of this, let's just be clear, like Umber isn't, isn't a vacuum of just me. I'm publishing. There's other people, there's amazing people I'm working with that are helping me with this vision I have, whatever, but I'm speaking my truth. Mm -hmm. That's, I'm leading with that. And so then as, as Umber evolves, as I evolves and those things will shift, whatever, but it's better to come at it from your perspective. So you know that you're not trying to, listen, speaking, of, I'll talk about pandering a little bit. I never wanted to come at something to where it's like, I got to make sure that I include this person to meet my quota. Cause a lot of companies would do that mm -hmm. where there's, you know, they'll say, Oh, we got to make sure we meet our quota of black and brown people. We got like you listen, who, who's coming to your house? Who are you eating dinner with? I mean, not in the pandemic. I mean, you know, that's just when you mad mask up, but really, right. Who are, who, who are you really spending intimate times with? Who are you really talking with? I think that, should reflect what you have in your presentation. And so, you know, I always make the joke, whatever, like, I don't think some of these magazines are trying to make white magazines, right? They're just bringing on their people who they know. Right. Their community, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, a lot of the, the magazines I've seen in, in, in regards to erotica, like most of it is white people, right? You know what I'm saying? You will see a few black and white people here and there, but mostly it's just, it's, just a lot of white folks in there. And so, once again, Umber reflects, and I'm so fortunate to, to say this, but Umber reflects my community, mm -hmm. who I actually like, like share time with on the phone, where there's Zoom, where there's like going on hikes, whatever. Like these are the people who I really actually care about. You know what I'm saying? I want to make sure that their their perspective is being heard. And so Slumber going to take that same approach with Slumber. Yeah, and I think that's really important. It's really important to to make sure that that you share their perspective and 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 not try to. I guess, pander to other people, but not also sugarcoat it. There's a reason why things are created for certain people and, and the audience gets it or they don't, right? And you're either going to take them on a journey or or they're going to not be part of it. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, it, not everybody's supposed to like all the things that we do. You know, that's why it's called nuanced, right? That's why we, we, we have multiple things. And also, 
us as individuals all don't like the same thing. So I, I think having the ability to have multiplicity in what we like, what we're able to experience, what we can experience, I don't know. I think it's going to be really, really clear and really, really, I guess, engaging to make sure that the community that you're building starts to have other outlets, you know, that Umber can't provide everything, you know, that you're able to do this. So when we, when we talk about these new magazines, because we can talk about this, honestly, we could probably geek out for a long time, but I want you in one sentence to describe how visually tone is going to be different than Umber. Um, but tone is going to be in full color. I'll be using a, a, a spot color for the blue. So, uh, are you doing five color process? No, no, no. Check this out. Okay, this is inside secret. Okay, I'm replacing the cyan with a Pantone. Oh, nice. So that will, so the sparkle will always be there. So anytime, I mean, it's gonna be hell to make a uh, <laughs> to make full color. But I didn't think about that shit. Damn. Yeah, well, that's, all, that, that's why I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> well, I mean, no. If I tell them that. Oh, for cyan. Oh, yeah. If you just, put cyan, you put 295 or something like that. You're definitely going to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I could just tell the printer where it's like, every time you see a cyan plate, thing, it, just, yeah, it's a spot color instead. Yeah. You, yeah. Oh, so, I want to, I want to see some, I want to see some printing plates on that. I want to see some of the, the press sheets on that. Cause that, that just seems depending on how light or dark your blue is. Right. Cause cyan is such a, such a nice kind of like mid-tone. Yeah, yeah, this blue is a little on the slightly darker than cyan. Yeah, that's gonna give some richness, though. Yeah, once again, you do with black people, so like you get some really, you may get some things that you probably wouldn't see before because of that. And so, so tone would be unique in that way. You know, umber would still be black and brown and BBP. Slumber, I'm not sure yet. Slumber, I may even do three colors for slumber. I mean, I want to get some some flesh tones in there for obvious reasons. So yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure yet exactly, but for slumber, but I think it's not it's not gonna be just black and brown though. I mean it's definitely from our perspective of people, wherever, but there may be a little bit of like some nice rose color in there, you know what I'm saying? And so some I may introduce one other other color for um for slumber. That'll that'll be interesting how you how you start to take that color theory with that. So as you 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 started talking about I you know shifting perspectives and things like that, right? You know, obviously the the 2020 has been like a shit show in in multiple ways, right? We, you mentioned we're dealing with a pandemic. We're also talking about the murder of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and just the the upheaval of of how that's shifted the design industry, advertising, culture, the way people get hired, um, our ability to socialize. <laughs> you know, um, so many things have been changed. You know, and looking at some of the things that you've created, you know, it looks like. The magazine had, you know, launch parties and events in San Francisco or Oakland. How has the events of the past year shifted plans for you? And really, how are you interjecting safety and resilience into what and how you produce work in the future? So we did end up having a, a release party for our SAM issue, a sports athletic movement issue. And um, so what we did is I was like, well... The space we had of that was is is called is Renegade Running. It's a, a black and brown owned running store in Oakland. They opened up during the pandemic. A physical brick and mortar store opened up during the pandemic. And so I went in the store. I just loved their the energy. The the owners were just great. And so I was like, well, if we do a release party here, the space is huge, right? How, how can it? How can we do it? How can we keep people safe? 
And so what we did is we had it to where three time slots where you can come, right? Either four to five, five to six or six to seven. And then there was a limit of how many people can come per, per slot, per time slot. And so 15 people at the most for four to five, five to six, 15 people, six to seven. And so, uh, 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 so that's how we did that. And we had like hand sanitizers there, but everybody had a mask and we kept the doors open because normally our events are sort of the big things that Umber does, right? Like last with 19, we had a sound issue and our sound issue, we had a band camp headquarters and their headquarters is in Oakland. And so, and that, that was phenomenal, dude. Like it was incredible. I had people who were featured in the magazine actually performed that night. It was incredible. And so um, going forth for this year, you know, also to all the photos which we did for, for the sandwich were outside, right? This one woman who's on a, a feature, she's a powerlifter. So we did a workout in the forest. She was, dude, she was lifting up logs. She was like literally lifting up logs. And so, so we did our photo. Normally we had a photo shoot in a gym. So that's really how we kind of shifted to where photo shoots are on outdoors. And a lot of time too for the photos, Sometimes we do live shots. Sometimes we just resource photos as was already out there and existing. And so that part would be the same thing for this year. This year, maybe a little different from last year. I mean, with, you know, I guess the vaccines are going out now and, but I'm still going to approach it as if I did last year and just keeping everything very separate and very just like on its own. And so um, in terms of an event, I don't know. I mean, we got four publications coming out this year. It's not going to be the same that, that everybody's used to. It's just, um, the challenges of, of this, and I want to call it new normal because that means the other thing was normal was good. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just different. So, you know, as, as there's so many things going on and, and obviously you're, you're challenging yourself with, with new themes for your, for different concept magazines and magazines that are coming out. What has been the most fun to create? I love, well, I don't know if you can see behind me, but that is my vision board for tone. Mm-hmm. So every, issue I make those things those vision boards of physical vision boards so those are fun just to kind of like like cut up magazines and make these little shapes whatever that's always fun the most fun cover was the same issue this cover that of all the covers I did that was the most freeing fun cover okay that I did it was like fun to do it was like oh let me put this here and put that there it doesn't have to be like all kind of like sophisticated just like just playing Right. right. I wanted that cover to feel like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like the, with the playing of sports. And so that was a fun cover. So as, as we start to shift towards the end of this conversation, right. As this imaginatively informative conversation, I'm, you know, you've are a designer and creative strategist with over 20 years of experience. What aspects of the creative process do you still struggle with? Organization. If that makes sense. I could be something very impulsive in my design. Oh, let me just do this. Right, but then I'm missing out the thing I was supposed to do before. So just kind of organizing the process, I think, has been the most the, the most challenging, and that's why I love having themes, so I can kind of narrow my focus and not be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Right, that's why I love black and brown ink. So tone is going to be a challenge. Yeah, the most challenging part is just organizing my thoughts around being organizing my process. You know, I mean, my process is good at solid. But just refining it, making it better. And here's the thing that's going to be challenging. Getting other people to do some of the design. For me to let go. Because, 
you know, for towing, I definitely have other support on design. I got some people in mind I want to want to partner with, whatever for that. Umbers always gonna be my baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the one I'm never gonna like BBP. I may have other folks kind of be a part of the process. The challenge for me is going to be like get to a point to where like, okay, Mike, you can't do it all. You just can't do it all. No, and I think I think maybe part of that is to, I guess to continually remind yourself what the the point of the project is. Right? Yeah. And, and if the point of the project is is forward thinking black man. Like, how do you make sure that the people you onboard, the people you bring there, the, the the people you collaborate are helping you with that? Because then at least maybe that then frees you up, right? Because it's not like you have to then control the thing because the other person gets it too. If you did leave it in their hands or, you know, here here's a couple of pages to do, you don't have to be micromanaging them because you know you're all kind of in it. George, that's spot on because that's really literally what, you know, the process has been to where it's like, I want tone to be uniquely different. There'll be some similarities in terms of like the approach, but I want you to feel different for tone. will probably have a life of its own. To be honest with you, I think it's going to be, be its own little thing. That's going to be on the side. And then I think of Umber Publishing as a creative think tank. Mm-hmm. All the like the crazy, oh, what if you do this? What if you do that? But then the output of those creative processes is the publication. And that, that would be good. It's going to challenge yourself to, to kind of, change and rethink the way you 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 do things and obviously having one issue one magazine as your baby still still at least is you're rooted in that but then the other ones being like to make these successful you do have to kind of let go a little bit right like the the kid has to go to college the kid has to start you know doing his own thing and, and everything you can't just be like you live for home forever <laughs> like you know yeah I, I visually see that when you said that i see that <laughs> um so now with with that said right and thinking about what you've been able to do over the course of your career and 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 thinking about what has changed in the way you were were taught or the way you were 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 have grown up to be this kind of like artistic or creative individual but knowing everything that's happened so far and knowing everything that you've been doing what advice would you give that younger self heading into the industry today do your own shit man small step big impact Keep it small, very attainable, and do it. Be aware of what's happening, but don't pay attention to them. Like, don't try to follow, don't try to make, don't try to be the next somebody else, right? You can be inspired by somebody, but don't try to be that next person. Be your own individual self. And so I would say really by young, by young I would say like start, just make something really cool for yourself, but make, you know, make it really small, but then just print a lot of them and just give it out, put them out in the world, right? And see what happens. But, you know, you can respect people, you can be aware of what's out there, but don't follow their shit. So on top of that, with the influx of and, and the way that that you know we need to have more black and brown people in design, in creative, you know, that that most schools have been cutting the art programs and the music programs and all that stuff, right? Because nobody else understands the arts, right? What kind of support do you think, you know, is needed for young creatives coming up today? I partner with this one with this one organization, Interact Project, they've been t- teaching a design for, for 15 years now, giving free classes for students. I wish there was a way to where, not so much on-job, on-the-job training, but when I worked at Kinko's, it was the best experience because I could just print my shit out. I can actually have an idea and then see it come out on this big machine, right? So just that, the visualization of that you can make something and then it appears, the visualization of like you could draw something, then it becomes something bigger. So I think the best 
dude, if it wasn't a pandemic, like I would, it would be great to just have a somebody just hanging out. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, and my son, he's he's ten now. He's already on Illustrator. He's been Illustrator since he was five. Um, he's already drawing, designing, and doing this. I mean, he's doing it because he sees me doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But he already kind of because he he's been he's seen me do it, right? So I think seeing somebody doing the things that they love and they they are proud of doing that's almost that's all what you really need to see is just the person doing it seeing an example of it being done and then you'll decide for yourself at some point if you want to do it for yourself access dude is the main part and so as much as it's great for them to have internships at these big companies design agency or tech firms like also know you could also do your own shit too or if you're working for another company have a a vision for what you want to do for yourself and not be so reliant upon working at this company. Yes. So I think you have to have all of the options. You can work at this place. You can work at that place or for that brand or for that company. And that's okay if you want to work there forever, right? Um, your value is not defined by where you work at. You know what I'm saying? Your value is not defined by, oh, I worked at this place, so now my value is up. In some ways it is. Flex that. But know that their value is up because they got you there. That's how you really got to see it. Like, okay, you're benefiting. I mean, be humble about it, but like really knowing all the aspects of where you can see yourself in the world. It's funny too. What if even, even if it was like, like a, almost like parallel play, you do your thing, I'm going to do my thing. And then you just kind of peek and say, oh, what are you working on, right? Just that little, just being in the same proximity, you know what I'm saying? Of kind of being, the, even if you're not a designer, but just seeing, oh, well, maybe I want to do my own business for something else is not designed, right? But just, yeah, so once again, there's nothing wrong with these working in these big companies, but that shouldn't be the end-all be-all. This happens a lot in the Bay Area, right? People always want announced when they work at a big company. Hey, I work here. Wow, look at me, I'm here. I made it. Like, it's like, that's great to whoever, but this should also be like, hey, I got my own company. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I decided my own thing. Right. Hey, I, you know, I didn't get a co-sign to do it my way. All those things are valuable. Right. Not one is over or above the other. Right. And I think that that's true. Like people feel that that the success of the big name is is more valuable than the other thing. And I and what resonated just re- recently when you're just talking about, you know, the sitting next to somebody and just kind of like mirroring and shadowing somebody, they don't have to be a creative, but they're you're an entrepreneur. You know, maybe you're an interview person and they're looking at that, right? They're looking at all the other aspects of who you are as a creative individual and learning from all of those different things, right? Not just Mike as a designer, not just Mike as an illustrator, not just Mike as a this, they're noticing Mike as a person. Those intangible things that you almost can't teach, they're learning because they're just kind of picking it up. They're picking up the respect, they're picking up, you know, how you talk to people and, you know, how you deal with money or how you deal with business opportunities, right? Like those things kind of get lost currently. And, and I think, you know, going back to that, that's what you gain with maybe being at a smaller company. That's what you gain because there's so much more intimacy there. It goes back to honestly, Umber nuance. It goes back to that little thing, understanding that there's value in more of those little things than just the magazine 
talking about community. You're talking about people. You're talking about where are my people, right? Like you can just be in this room and you don't have to code switch because we're all in the same room and we all get it. <laughs> it, it the thing about it too, George, is that I know that whatever I'm doing for Umber has to happen for the next thing to happen. I'm not going to be here like, oh, Umber is, my, Umber is my all right now, but I know it's, this has happened for the next thing to happen in my life. Right. Right. And so launching this crowdfunding campaign for Umber Publishing in March and just really getting that to really glow and blossom, like that has to happen in order for the next thing to happen in my life. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like, there's like, you got to get it out. And then who knows what the next chapter is going to be after this thing is all out in the world, you know? So Right. But it's got to be out there and you, and you, and you got to promote it and you got to let people know. So you have this crowdfunding um, campaign. What else is happening in the future with Umber and Mike and, and, and all the other things that are, that are going down? Yeah. So the goal is with this crowdfunding campaign, um, it's, you know, it's a big goal. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not, it's a big, you know, definitely a big goal. Um, very lofty, but you know, I think it's doable even within the pandemic and the way that we're, you know, this crowdfunding is not like perks per se. Every pleasure you make, you're getting a physical copy of Umber. So here's the thing. Whatever happens with the crowdfunding campaign, these four publications will come out this year. Mm -hmm. The crowdfunding campaign will allow us to grow Umber so I can bring on more people to help out with some of the design, editorial, marketing aspects, you know what I'm saying, to help Umber grow. So this crowdfunding campaign is to grow our readership and to grow Umber to have a big, bigger footprint outside of just the print the print magazines. So really, I just want to make sure that people know that this is not crowdfunding. Oh, you know, you pledge $10 and you get a local hand wave. Like, no, 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 you're getting something with $10. You're getting a <laughs> you're getting, you're getting BBP Digest with your $10. So think of it more of it as pre-orders, right? Okay. Versus just as a perk. You right, know what right. I'm saying? And what's the timeline um, of these things? So the goal is March 16th. And that's for everything or just Umber itself? Or you're considering under under Umber publishing as one? Yeah, yeah, and, 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 it, and it'll be for 45 days. And then after the campaign is over and we get all our funding, yay! And then also to a part of the pledges is subscriptions. People have been asking for Umber subscriptions for the past four years. And I wasn't able to do it because I'm only doing one copy a year, right? Um, this time we're doing the, the four publications, you'll get either a subscription for one year or for two years, which would include all of Umber, Tone, BBP, and Slumber. All right. Right? Then if you don't want to get the Slumber, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can just get just the Umber, um, or you can just get just the Tone, or you get the individual as a, as a pledge, right? And so the next year, nine publications. Oh, you're being aggressive. You got to go hard or go home, man. And so um, it'll be two issues of Slumber next year, Two of BBP, one of Umber. So this, the theme for this Umber is wealth, which is going to be phenomenal conversation. Like once again, a nuanced, authentic conversation around wealth from a black and brown perspective, where it's not just about your assets or your finances, about the mental aspects of wealth, right? You know what I'm saying? Like land is wealth, mm -hmm. right? Your, your your mental state is wealth. That is just about. It's not about money only. I don't, exactly right. So that's happening, and then, uh, so you get an inside scoop. I like it. The theme for next year's Umber is topography. Oh, listen, George, boy, I tell you now, Lord have mercy. Then three copies of of tone next year. 
That's a that's a good slate. That's a good slate. I mean, look, with so much on your plate, I love that you're breaking it up. I love that you're diversifying what you're talking about with either the the the, the different topics and the themes that it's allowing you to go deep in something that's not um, too focused. You know, it's broad enough to have variation. I think that adding these new publications allow you personally to grow, but the brand to start expanding and showcasing the fact that the the black and brown perspective is not singular. It is different. It is unique. It It's broad. And I think that's going to be one of the things that that having these multiple publications is going to allow Umber Publications as a, as a brand to start doing. And I really enjoyed the fact that you, you're giving me some scoops. You know, I'm just going to blow it up when, when this episode comes out. No, but I, I, I think that just is it a testament to the fact that you're trying new things and really excited about where this whole thing can go because you're taking it, you know, far beyond, you know, what other people have been doing. And there's been, like you said, black and brown magazines, and you're not trying to step on those toes of, of who've come before us. You're trying to elevate the conversation to be, it is from the perspective of us it literally is the FUBU model, right? Like for us, by us, right? <laughs> you know, and I think that's really, that's really great because it's nobody should be telling our stories besides us, especially when you talk about the nuanced perspective, because otherwise you're just gawking. You're just looking at it from a different thing and like sensationalizing us as a entity versus a people. And what I see you doing is, is creating community as a people. This crowdfunding campaign is going to blow up. I, I can sense it. It'll probably hopefully be within when when this episode gets released, you know, so hopefully we can use it as a, as a way to promote. But I really, Mike, I, I, I thank you so much for being on this episode. I, I think there's so many nuggets. I think my editor is going to be hard to find out how to how to cut. So we may just have to be a long episode because there's so much in here and and you're so giving with your time and what you're trying to do and, and what your what your intentions are. One more thing to add to going forward is that also, we'll be curating and creating online content for Umber Publishing. And so that's something that people have been asking for, but I'd rather bring on somebody who is more like skilled at that than me, right? Who has more of an understanding of what online experience is and the user journey of it, of somebody online that I don't want to do just another blog. I don't want to do just another like post. I want it to be something that is uniquely different and fits within the brand or just within the vision of umber publishing and so this crowdfunding will allow us to do that um that will happen in next year okay in 22 where we have have content online so well i mean once again another another amazing aspect to building and expanding this brand so before we we head out where else can i learn about mike nichols or and umber <laughs> i have this site needs to be updated but this is mike nichols.com n-i-c-h-o-l-l-s um, com. This is umber.com and the crowdfunding campaign actually will be on our website. Okay. No other thing. It'll be, you go to our website and there, there it is. So then you can also can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at this is umber. And then if you want to, for your listeners, you can buy, you can still buy umber. Um, if you go to the website, um, you can still buy the copies. Except, of our, um, except issue two. Except issue two, which is, <laughs> I don't know. Listen, I'm, if there's enough, I don't know how to go about like, hey, what a, maybe a, a reprint, a reprint. 
there has to be enough people who want it. Back. Of course, I mean, that, of course. Lastly, I would say to Farmer Publishing, probably 22, 23, we'll explore publishing other people's stuff. Oh, right? nice. That's, a, that's like a soft, like, I don't know yet. You know, we may do that, but we got to figure out our stuff first. Um, and then we'll see what happens next year. And then last thing, we're going to build out our, our content studio. We've highlighted and featured over 80 contributors, right? These are like phenomenal artists, writers, photographers, designers, creative thinkers. And so, you know, we're getting to the point to where like, you know, a lot of times we work with brands and they want to be a part of Umber. It's like, okay, you can get an ad, but we can do a whole, we can do more than that. Mm-hmm. Or we can do a whole package of things, you know what I'm saying? So that's something that we're going to explore too, so. Well, that's like, once again, just, just adding more and more aspects to this and giving more and more people opportunity and like you mentioned before, access. Thank you, Mike, for the for for this for this episode. There's so many gems in here. I can't wait to re-listen. And basically, keep on doing what you're doing, bro. Design wise, community wise, and guess pushing the envelope for yourself and and get more comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Especially with that tone issue, because it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to give up that control. But I think, like we said, it it'll actually make the whole thing so much grander because there's a bigger purpose. Um, Once again, thank you, Mike. This has been Works in Process. I want to thank Mike again. I'm so inspired by all the new ventures he's creating with Umber Publishing and his approach to creating experience with the printed form. I'm glad we were able to chat about the future of Umber and how we'll continue to add nuance to the black and brown experience. The Works in Process podcast is created by me, George Garistegui Jr., and this episode has been edited by Hearsay Productions. Thanks so much for taking a journey with me, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be social, and let's connect on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And if you like the show, don't be shy. Feel free to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, remember, it's not always about what you create, but how you create it.